of these things that you have left for us. Bless us together now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to do a couple preliminary readings. Um, the title of the message uh, or our lesson for the morning is, Have You Understood These Things? It's a challenge. <laughs> and uh, I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 13. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. After he had just given the disciples, I mean, we're talking disciples. I believe that uh, we're all disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had related to them the parable of the sower, the parable of the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, and of the hidden treasure, and the parable of the pearl, and the drawing in of the net. And then he, to his disciples, says, Have you understood all these things? What did they answer? Yes. <laughs> it's probably nonsense. <laughs> it's kind of what we would do, uh, probably the, the things of Leviticus. But I thought it was a challenge for us. Have we understood these things, these things in Leviticus that are hard to understand sometimes? And we'll see that um, as we go to that study in just a, a minute. But I want to remind you of our connection of Leviticus with Hebrews. As a matter of fact, our study here is born out of our study in, in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews says that all these things written in the law, and particularly of Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, the first five books, and, but including the entire Old Testament, that they were shadows and types of, quote, good things to come, close quote. We need to remind ourselves of that, that, that though we might struggle with complete understanding of the book of Leviticus, because of the things that are written there are strange to us sometimes, and in chapter 12 this morning we'll see some of that, but we should remember that, uh, um, that God has written these for a purpose. And he had given those uh, parables to the disciples for a purpose. Interesting enough, he never explained exactly, completely, all the time. He left it a little, what do you call it, unfinished. And then asked the question, do you understand all these things? It's a real challenge to us as students of the word of God to understand these things. Now, I also want to remind you that this book is about God's holiness. That is, uh, uh, that is a concern of ours today, is it not? Do you not desire to be holy in the Lord? I think all of you do, of course. We want to be holy like our Lord was holy. Do you make it all the time? 
Absolutely not. And so you have to probably quote like John Newton did. I've got it right here. I'm not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Hallelujah. That's good stuff, isn't it? Uh, encouraging stuff. We, uh, the, one of the problems with understanding Leviticus is how it fits into the New Testament. But I do want you to know that those things written for our admonition back in the book of Leviticus were intended to teach, but not in any direct fashion, but in an indirect fashion, exactly the same way that he did with the disciples with his parables. They are sometimes, the meaning is obscured slightly by the things said. We'll test that this morning. But, um, but in fact, they were meant for us to understand. And it is my task as a teacher, an onerous task to tell you. It is one that I spend time in prayer and on my knees praying about. Is that I'm, I, my obligation is to help you to understand when I have only a partial understanding of it myself. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? The book of Leviticus can be challenging. But we know that even despite the fact that it talks about clean and unclean food and animals and what you can eat and what you don't do, we also remember what the Apostle Paul said, don't judge your brother by what they eat. And in Acts chapter 10, at Cornelius, uh, the case of Cornelius, he said, don't call unclean what God has declared clean. And so that we see that, that the a book of Leviticus in its legal fashion and the, and the law and such is not a direct, we don't simply pick it up and put it in the New Testament we see the fulfillment of these things. We see them come to pass. What the book of Leviticus spoke about, we see it come to pass in the New Testament. There is Jesus himself as the fulfillment of the law. The law was a shadow of things to come. I hope I won't offend, but all those things, Israel was a type does anybody agree? Israel was a type of what? It typified what? The church. The chosen people. It was a type. Those were all types. Dare I say, the law in its entirety was a type. 
of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the New Testament, starting in Acts chapter 2. And from there on, as you read the New Testament, you'll find that the law no longer applies. For instance, Jesus said, I think it's in Mark 7, um, by so saying, he declared all foods clean. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of a man. He is talking about sin, right? And so the Old Testament is typifying the sinful effects on mankind. In the New Testament, we find that those things are no longer relevant. They're rel excuse me, that's a wrong word. They're relevant, but they're no longer binding. You can actually have bacon. Okay. Some of you probably did this morning. And it's perfectly all right. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. And what comes out is behavior. What comes out are uh, hatred and those kinds of things. That's what makes a man unclean. So let's go back and study. We're at uh, Leviticus 12, I think we said we were going to do, 12, 13, and 14. We're taking it by sections now. I'm going to read chapter 12 in its entirety because it's one of the shortest chapters in the Bible thus far. And uh, also I'm, I might remind you that in the book of Leviticus, I think during the introduction to this book, I indicated to you something uh, characteristic of this book that is just astounding. It is a book that quotes, that is, to, that quotes the words of God most, more than any other book in the Bible. Almost on every page, we have God addressing man. We have to, uh, this time uh, to Moses, chapter 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then he shall, uh, she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, her menstrual cycle. She shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days, twice as long. As for a male child, when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he 
shall offer it before the Lord, that is the priest, and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law of her who has born a male or a female. If she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons like Jesus' mother did. One is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. I think it's, uh, uh, what an interesting chapter. And you should read the commentaries on this thing. It's nutty. It's as though that there's some superiority in the male child and uh, inferiority in a female child. I bear to, uh, I mean, I, I dare to differ with that, but I do differ with that extremely. Uh, God gave the ability to women to have children, both male and female. The other thing I want to make clear as we study this book, unclean doesn't mean sinful. Do you understand? It means ceremonially unclean. That you can't come into the presence of God in an unclean state. And the first thing you need to do is make a sacrifice and all those kinds of things. All this points to Christ. But I want to make it clear that by saying uh, that the woman is unclean does not say she is sinful. That's utter nonsense when you think about it. But she ha they had a procedure for both a male child and a female child. First off, I want to notice one thing between either one of them. The mother was afforded a time of rest. She didn't have to go to temple or tabernacle. She didn't have to do anything for weeks. She had almost a three-month period to wait and to get it all together, to heal, to bring up the little one, to nurture it, to love it. And so these things, while they might appear ceremonially weird, in fact, it was beneficial. She didn't have to go. She couldn't go. She was unclean, ceremonially unclean, and she was not to appear there until after her time of recuperation. And then she went and offered up offerings. And so this is not a story of the inferiority of female children to male children. Um, despite the events of, uh, of the first three chapters of Genesis, I don't think that it is a wise or, or even a legitimate thing to make some claim that somehow females are inferior in any way to males. My goodness, life's experiences shows that not to be true, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, uh, but here, there is a procedure for being ceremonially unclean and how to fix that. We, don't lo we no longer have that. We just read uh, from chapter 
8 uh, of Hebrews last week that we um, that these things were obsolete to use the biblical word that appears in my version obsolete obsolete doesn't mean that it didn't have any purpose that it doesn't have any purpose now it does you are to draw from that my Bible says things both new and old wisdom things of wisdom we look at the Old Testament we look at the law which is declared to be obsolete and yet it teaches us great things it teaches us about our Lord Jesus Christ it teaches us about our own holiness. And so while it's a book of holiness, you remember that when we believed, I know you're going to, this is a Romans 4 and 5, which we will get to one of these days. <laughs> and I will rejoice when we get there. <laughs> um, uh, we were declared righteous. That Christ's righteousness, pure, holy, God, was imputed to me and to you. Imputed, laid to our account. If you want to study that out, it's the white robe of righteousness in the book of Revelation. Each was given a white robe. We were declared righteous. We have no need of a law that makes us and repeats it over and over and over again. This high priest went one time into the tabernacle into that true tabernacle that is in heaven. And he is there now, ruling his kingdom. Yeah. Where's his kingdom? There are different views about what's going to happen in the future, about some literal kingdom, but let me tell you what. Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. Okay, I'm going to be bold this morning. I get in trouble when I do this, but I'm going to be bold. I am in the kingdom. I am in Christ's kingdom. The kingdom of God is in me. And you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is in you. It is present. It is here. It is in me. It has not yet been fully consummated, and one day in the future will be. But right now, the kingdom of God is within us, just as our Lord has said. Now, let's return back to this, the uh, uh, chapter 12 in the book of Leviticus about holiness and the way that a woman was to have a child, either male or female, I'm not going to come down and tell you exactly what that fully means from A to Z. I'll be the first to admit I have a notion, 
but I am not confident to pursue it. So I go to writers. And by the way, I recommend one. Not this book. Oh, you see this little book? <laughs> um, I'm going to challenge you, but let me just go right here. What size of font do you think that's written in? Six. <laughs> or five or something. <laughs> For this old man, I've got uh, glasses at home. I understand. <laughs> I've got these magnifying glasses, some of them that are very, very strong. And uh, I have to put them on and I'm like this to read this book. Okay, this is a book, an exposition of Leviticus by A.A. A. Bonar. It is an excellent volume. I would recommend you get it. If you want to challenge yourself to these kinds of uh, uh, sure interpretation of those kinds of things, even Bonar is not so bold. Which is amazing to me. Some of the best scholars in the history of the church and yet there's still a question of some of these things in the book of Leviticus. So we're going to leave it there. He's just explained it, uh, of a woman's responsibility and how she was to handle uh, uh, the birth of children, both male and female. Let's go to chapter 13. And then it begins with these words, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, there it is again, God speaking directly in the tabernacle to Moses and Aaron, who is now, we saw earlier from the earlier chapters, is now the high priest. Until that time, Moses was the one who mediated between God and man, but Aaron has been elevated to the high priest, saying, when a man... Uh, when a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes the skin uh, on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. Stop there for a moment. We're going to debate, as the commentators do, about the word leprous, as though it indicated leprosy. Well, leprosy was known, but not as widely known uh, in the wilderness as you might think. And what, what most commentators do is they're talking about an infectious sore of some sort, not necessarily formally the disease of leprosy. And he is brought to the priest, and the priest, uh, or one of the priests, uh, at the tabernacle, in verse 3, the priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white, hey, mine has, look at this. <laughs> have I got a leprous brain? <laughs> I think so sometimes. Uh, if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous or an infectious sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. He did not pronounce him sinful, but unclean. And he can't come into the environs of the, of the tabernacle unclean. Verse 4. 
But if the bright spot is white on the skin of the body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin and its hair has not turned white, then the, uh, uh, the hair that, uh, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. He goes into isolation. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread to the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Interesting, isn't it? He's still not believing the whole thing. It looks like it's not an issue. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and indeed, if the sore has faded and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again, and if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. Then the leprous sore is on the person. When the leprous sore is on the person, then he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall examine him and do all of these things. And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white, and turn the hair white, and spot of raw flesh in the swelling, kind of a raw wound, it is an old leprosy on the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not, and shall not isolate him. For he is unclean. And if leprosy breaks out all over the skin and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who is the sore from his head to his foot, whenever, uh, wherever the priest looks, then the priest shall consider. And indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean. Is that curious? <laughs> Who has the sore? It is all turned white. He is clean. Anybody want to venture a guess about that one? When he's covered from head to toe with leprosy, he's declared clean. Whoa. All right. I'll venture, I guess. You were a leper. But then Christ forgave you. The leprosy will no longer spread. And leprosy itself has that kind of property that after it goes and extends to the entire body that runs out of Power is no longer um, communicable. And so the priest declares him clean. The priest, the high priest in this instance for us is Christ has declared you by faith in him clean. Uh, a personal application during the time before I was a believer, 
the months before I became a believer by crying out to God for salvation, I experienced perhaps the worst period of conviction of sin that I can ever recall. It was awful. And I even used the terms. I remember describing it. It is though I was sinful from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I was. I was. I was like this leper. But then Christ, I fell to the floor and cried out to, I call it my, my, in my uh, testimony, the God I did not know. And he forgave me of my sins. And he made me completely whole, uh, whole and clean. The same thing has happened to you. If you're a believer today, you were unclean in sin from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, but Christ came along and he drew you and you followed on. And were declared clean and righteousness. Back to the text. There's a certain medical thing going on here. Now isn't there? We'll ask our resident nurse here. There's some medical things going on. They're crude, I would agree. It's not sophisticated. But it was probably fairly accurate. What was the concern and why were the priests so severe? Do you know that one time they shoved the guy out of the community and won't let him return? Wow. But uh, this, uh, if we look at it in a, a medicinal kind of pl uh, way, uh, they were protecting the community. Do you remember we discussed how many people were in that, uh, with it, in that band? It was, you get different uh, estimations. Some as low as two and a half million, others as high as five million. Where in the community at that time, you can only imagine if somebody comes down with COVID and it rips through the community and kills many. The same with leprosy, the same with, with, with all kinds of medical things. And medical science hasn't yet begun, generally speaking, as we understand the medical uh, uh, discipline, has not even begun here. This is the Israel in the wilderness. They are, um, uh, they are out there with little help except the priest, and, the, and God has giving, given instructions of exactly what to do, because they didn't know. God knows. And so while it seems harsh, uh, sometimes that person is banned and sent outside the gates, and the, outside the, and ref, they refuse to allow him back in. And by so doing, they probably delivered many people. He had, to, uh, you know, like in the New Testament, he had to stand back and yell, unclean, unclean. That was his job. It 
So that's what's going on in Leviticus chapter 13. It is the law concerning leprosy. If you'd like, next week I'll bring you back a little bit. Uh, if, you, if you're debating the issue about is it leprosy or is it something less. Some say it was psoriasis. I don't know, but commentators say that. I think it was more serious than that. But nonetheless, it may not have been leprosy as we understand a leper colony or something like that. Later, leprosy was to be a big issue, even when Jesus came. He cured lepers, didn't he? Oh, and what else? He touched a leper. Oh, my goodness. Does that make him unclean? None of you would say that. And the, and the whole point of it is that uh, touching an unclean thing doesn't mean that you're sinful. As a matter of fact, the whole system of, 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 uh, uh, that, that, they, uh, that the Lord is giving here to the Israel is that if you touch an unclean thing, a carcass or something, it doesn't mean you're sinful, it means you're unclean. And that you can't go into the temple area when you're unclean and you have a process that you have to go through in order to return to fellowship with God in the presence of God. There's an element of truth in that today, isn't there? Not quite as rigid as that, but nonetheless. So that's what this law concerning leprosy is about, and it goes into great detail. And I think the reason it's in such great detail is it was something of an early expression of the medical system. It was given to the hand of the priest to determine these and to make the diagnosis as to what the nature of that was and give a uh, very detailed expressions of what to look for. And so I, I think that there's no need for us to obsess over that of, to what it all means. But this is not... It is no longer relevant to us as New Covenant, New Testament believers. It is just no longer relevant. Christ cleanses from all unrighteousness, I believe the scripture teaches. And so we have been cleansed. We are seen by God as clean. I wonder what's under the robe, uh, those white robes of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I, I believe that uh, Christ's righteousness has been, has been imputed to me, but I am not righteous in any final sense in the acts that I do and in the thoughts of my mind or any of those things. I am not righteous. I'm not holy without blemish. And yet I'm seen in the eyes of God as holy and without blemish. Is there a better message than that? <laughs> I, 
I can't think of one, that, that the vilest sinner, all of those that gather around me on Quora to criticize me and to, but the vilest sinner, the most angry sinner that uses vile language when talking about God, God can save that one. He does save that one. My testimony. These are beautiful things. And I know that there are details. It goes on to the law of uh, uh, concerning leprosy is really complicated. Look at verse 14, or chapter 14. Skipping over, because that whole chapter 13 is given over to this thing of leprosy. It goes into the garments that the person is wearing and all those kinds of things. Or, uh, chapter 14, and we're going to be unable to uh, work our way completely through it. But uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And now it goes into the cleansing and the healing of all that we've just read about in chapter 13. And the priest shall command to take him who is to be cleansed, verse 4, um, two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. We'll talk about this next week in a little bit more detail. But doesn't, doesn't that remind you of anything? Running water? Um, earthen vessel? Even the words themselves are suggestive. You do know that one, uh, uh, an earthen vessel that was, that was uh, what do you call it, uh, polluted by, quote, leprosy, was to be broken and not used anymore and thrown out. Interesting, isn't it? Um, I, th I think that I can um, relate to being an earthen vessel. <laughs> so, but earthen vessels with cleansing water, it's clean. Yeah. Remember, Clean does, uh, or uh, uh, unclean doesn't mean sinful, but it is a type of sin. It is a prefiguring of sin. But it was not sin to be a leper. It was a tragedy to be a leper. And, but there's a larger concern for the community. Nonetheless, uh, uh, we will try to finish that and take the next couple of chapters as well uh, for next week. We're going to move quickly, as quickly as we can, to try to conclude our study here. And then, uh, Lord willing, if, if um, the elders clear it and pastor doesn't think I'm walking on his toes or something or walking on his feet or what is the saying? I forget what that is. Uh, uh, I'm going to do Romans. Look forward to it, as a matter of fact. But the things in 
Leviticus are not absent from the book of Romans, as we told you er, uh, up front in our introduction. Don't judge what another man eats. Don't judge what day he honors. Every man to himself. They are no longer relevant in terms of that. I am fully persuaded, I'll finish with this, I'm fully persuaded that there is nothing unclean of itself. The Apostle Paul. But if a man esteems a thing to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Wow. That's good. Nothing is unclean of itself. There's nothing that has the nature of being unclean. But if a man esteems a thing to be unclean, it's coming through his brain. And so for him, it is unclean. We finish with that. Food for thought. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you help us to understand these things from this marvelous book of Leviticus. For in it, we see the shadows. We see the predictions. We see the types. We see all of these things that have to do with the good things to come in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord who answered to all of these things in his sacrifice for us so that he declared us clean and then ascended back to the right hand of the majesty on high. It is that one that we worship, that one that we love. Help us to grasp the meaning of his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.